atmosphere. So if that was the SpaceX one, I have no idea what the Artemis one will be like when that launches. Oh, God, it's going to be... Those people just wiped out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it wouldn't stand a chance. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my eyes! You know, yeah. like in um, t- Judgment Day, Terminator 2, when she's on the, <laughs> yeah, the, yeah, the rails, yeah. when she's having the flashback, and then the whole playground gets incinerated. She's like... <laughs> You know, I'm like a techie guy. I like my gadgets, my gizmos, I always have. And um, I don't know if you noticed, but there's a new update for the iOS iPhone, right? And it has this new feature where it creates the... You can now customize your... This isn't an ad. You can now (laughs) customize your your background. Like your lock screen, you can add widgets. And it does this thing where it makes these AI suggestions for who in your photo reel should be your phone background. And the people suggested were in this order. It was Talia, my girlfriend, right? Rightly so. Probably the most photographed person in in my phone book. My dogs... And then you, Yay. many, many of you. <laughs> it was just loads of lovely pictures of you smiling. Like there was one time we went to like Primrose Hill and I took a picture of you and I'll show you the pictures. It created these like AI really lovely backgrounds. <laughs> like what I should suggest to have as my phone screen. I'll put them on the screen. I hate that. And like this I, I, one I of you with the camera. <laughs> and it just, and, and so, so I'm on your phone real, not because of this podcast. I just happen to be in there a lot. Because, but I, I think that AI has gone all the social clips that are in my right. phone. That's a this person. man is important this to you. Important to me <laughs> therefore let's find a nice picture of you guys at the park yeah. and surely james will want that as his phone screen and that was it there was no mum and dad no. none of my other friends you have no my dogs my girlfriend and you that's, that's it's like my I'm on whatsapp my, i have to pin my top three chats i use every day mm. it's my girlfriend my flatmate and you because <laughs> yeah. you're the people i speak to all the time and yeah. I was, yeah sorry no, mum and dad sorry family well i mean I'm, well, I'm, I'm glad i made the cut and um, don't use any of those pictures though that you show me. Those are awful. I, 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 George, I'm not making you yeah. my background. Why? <laughs> the dogs made it. The dogs made it. it. But now it's actually just like a nice shot I took at Cliffs of Dover. Do you want to tell them what nice dogs you have? Nice business. I've, I've, I've got two Hungarian Vizlas. That means Lovely. that means Your anything to anyone. Yeah, my family you has them, them. But you know, yeah. Lovely yeah, dogs. Yeah. Elegant. I'd love to get a dog, but like it, it would be cruel in this small flat with how often I'm away and the fact that no one else is here when. Me and my partner. Yeah, that there. would be cool. Also, yeah. there's such a tie. When but we- I, I told Talia very clearly, like as soon as it's not unfair for me to get a dog, yeah. I'll get a dog, yes. and it will be like my decision, and you'll you'll have to live with my decision of what dog we get. Are you going to get a Vizsla again? Because uh, I feel like you're informed by whatever you've grown up with. I could do, but again, that's a big dog that needs lots of walking, so it will be it will be a, a byproduct of my <laughs> yeah <laughs> small budget. It will have to be like based on what my life looks like and what I can do. Mm. I'd love a great day. But you're but like, James. You're abroad all the time. I know. That's why, that's why I'm way. not going to do it. It's yeah, going to be cruel. I see yeah. you having a dog for a long time. Yeah, years. Yeah, I'm mm. going to Turkey next week. It never ends. Do you know when I was in Florida, I uh, the um, people we were staying with uh, were like, oh, you're going to have a dog? And they were like, we'd love to have a dog. But, you know, there are alligators and bobcats <laughs> and snakes. And, and I was like, imagine how like, emotionally traumatized it is to like, raise a dog and to find out, oh, yeah, the alligator got it. Yeah. Or like, this racist snake. In the countryside, maybe you have the foxes as a problem. Yeah. But you, you usually like, foxes are quite small. Yeah. Like, most dogs are, pro- like, puppies when you worry about that. But... And, he, and even the, the grass is like, you know, like Bermuda grass. It's like really sharp and full of ants and stuff. Yeah. Don't do it. Don't, don't, um, Put yourself through that emotional turmoil. Just remembered something I didn't tell you, which I think you're going to find really cool. Okay. I didn't tell you about when I was in Florida. I saw a rocket launch, mm. like an actual proper NASA rocket launch. Well, 
It was from Cape Canaveral. It wasn't NASA, sorry. It was That's SpaceX. Cool. Oh, right, yeah. So when I was there, they were going to do the Artemis one. You know, the big one that they yes, to do? Yeah. And then that got scrubbed. They kept saying on the news, we've had the scrub. Loads of people disappointed by the scrub weather. And then you get, so, but they were going to have a SpaceX launch anyway, which is happening all the time. Yeah. So you know the time it's happening. It's happening 10 o'clock at night. So we drove an hour to like get to this car park or, or parking lot that's <laughs> like probably like two miles, three miles, I don't know, across some water mm. from Cape Canaveral. And like you can see the Artemis sat on the launch pad, like all lit up. And then our rocket's just next to it. It's probably like that. In right. Your eye line, okay. Like very, very much small. smaller. Much smaller. You can see the light, but you can you can see it you know, like that. And everyone's there. They've got their deck chairs. It's completely dark. No light. It feels like such it. a, I don't know, like a, like a cliche 1950s it film. Is. It was thing. like, we're going to look out for the rocket launch. Like how many times does a film cut to like the overshoulder perspective of those people on the deck chairs, like looking yes. at the rocket going? Yeah. Like every single, like Armageddon, Insta, yeah. every, sorry, every it, single. It, it was really cute. And, um, you know, have a corn dog no we just <laughs> stood there waited you know you didn't yeah. want any much light it, it, people have brought like packed lunches and flasks and yeah. some people have clearly been there like for a while and then you got it you you had know what time exactly it's going to be launched so you, you can count it down and you're watching it like i said pitch black across the water and then you just see and this like huge bright um wow orange light like the sun like the sunrise but yeah. obviously artificial which is really strange just explodes across everyone goes whoa yeah. <laughs> and it lights up and it, you know, then you know you apes are all like and it's and it's you know climbing in the air and as it climbs it lights up more of the sky and, wow. and, and it lights and then that is obviously reflected across the water amazing and, and it, it was like truly amazing and honestly as it was like climbing in the air i had the interstellar soundtrack yeah. in, my, in my, my mind that um do not go gentle yeah. into the good night and honestly yeah. i was like i've touched the face of god <laughs> <laughs> yeah this is really incredible you like we're not meant to do this we should be on the ground there is something strange because you know humans are always drawn to flames and like yes. light and this is so bright but it, we know it's man-made it's artificial yeah. and it's climbing and climbing and climbing and only as it enters the atmosphere this is probably taking two minutes maybe mm. three minutes to get into there and it's turning into slightly more amber uh, glow and it's fading you can look at yeah. it more it's only then that you hear oh it's the sound it's taken that long wow. for the sound to travel across yeah. the bay um, which just shows you, you know the difference between the speed of sound and the speed of light absolutely yeah um, and then you wait and it disappears and then you wait maybe two three minutes and then the it re-enters uh, you know the, oh, the, 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 the rocket parts of the rockets yeah. re-enter and you can see the burn up as it comes back oh amazing so the whole thing probably lasted about five ten minutes but it was just incredible and very cinematic but like it, you it felt like, like real life cinema when you see something as sublime and, and as brilliant yeah. like that, that it you've quite... only ever seen on a screen in magic or CG like yeah. I just can't believe that it, it's something that really happened it's, and, it was profound and how much energy you could see like being burned yeah. to like push us out of the atmosphere so if that was the SpaceX one I have no idea what the Artemis one will be like when that launches oh, God, it's gonna I be those people just wiped out <laughs> <laughs> it wouldn't stand a chance. Yeah. Oh, my eyes! You know, yeah. like in um, t Judgment Day, when she's on the, yeah, yeah, the, yeah, the rails, yeah. when she's having the flashback, and then the whole playground gets incinerated. She's like, ah! <laughs> like the Indiana Jones, like your eyes just yeah. melt around your face. Shut your eyes! Yeah, um, yeah that was a very fun There thing. are amazing stories of completely unrelated, but talking about bright lights, where um, the really sad story of the soldiers who were tested in the first who were tested from certain distances in the first explosions of nuclear bombs oh, really? on boats and they were it's really sad because in the years after that event loads of them became infertile developed multiple cancer multiple times because yeah, sure. of the explosion of but they talk about this time that they were sent on a boat they were you know kids in 18 19 20 years old and they were 
told to uh, cover your eyes and look away. And they were not told what were to expect. And then like miles away, a nuclear bomb was set off. And these people describe, like, even though they had their eyes shut and their hands over their face, it was a bright light and they saw the bones in their hands. Whoa, my That's God. how bright it was. And they, they literally, like, felt this heat, like, opening an oven on their faces that was, like, burning. They, they didn't get burned, but they suffered really badly from radiation. But, like, they talked about this blinding light, which is, like, oh. indescribable yeah. scenes, which is very well, sad. Well, I wonder, A, I wonder if Oppenheimer will talk about that. Next I, year. I'm sure it will. I'm sure it will. Yeah. But also, um, you've just reminded me, like, like radiation is awful when I, we watch weird it feels like well, when too I watched weird to be Chern- true. Chernobyl you know that was really good at looking at how radiation poisoning affects you and really what it does is it basically makes you decompose while you're still alive yeah your body's just breaking down it, it, while it you, tears the electrons off atoms doesn't it, it, it scientific uh, way. and it awful horrific and that thing in you know do you remember Chernobyl in the first episode where they turn up to the power plant and like they pick up a brick and it like burns their hands yes. and you're like yeah. you're, you're you're fucked that's you know? that's gone and like, do you remember the 45 second roof clearing sequence like later yes. on where they had to like time it and you know, There's the guy like, like, gets trips over and falls in the water. Oh, it's and, just awful. And, and it makes you feel sick. And yeah. like, no, the one that got me was the people who are just in Chernobyl, like the mums and their babies who are just watching. And they, they light up this radioactive dust that's falling oh, yeah. on all of them. They don't realize they're in danger yet. But like this, yeah. uh, this radioactive gross stuff. It, it's just, yeah. And then the people who are just hanging around realize that they're probably going to die in five years of yeah. multiple cancers and yeah. all this breakdown of their cells. It's just... Doesn't feel real, no. radiation. The only upside was that the story <laughs> I thought, let me just end this on a positive note, is that yes. in Chernobyl, there was always that famous story about the divers who went under. Do you remember that? The divers who had to go into the flooded, yeah, uh, which the was diggers. And I'd always, I would always assumed, because uh, I think the statues about them, that they'd all died of radiation poisoning, but actually like a couple of them actually had survived. Really? And had lived long lives, but... And the whole idea that these people who are like, you could never have, it was only under a, a communist dictatorship that you could force people to work in those conditions yeah. to contain the radiation. But it's those people that have died to contain it at yeah. that point that saved potentially yeah. like hundreds of thousands of lives. But you could only really do that in a dictatorship where you're like, no, yeah. no, you work here and this is what you do. That bit it's where it's like, what happens if we like. Not defending dictatorships. What, what, no, no, no. Like, what happens if uh, you know, it makes contact with the water underneath the plant? It's like. Uh, the whole of Eastern Europe will be un- un- uninhabitable for about 500 years. <laughs> <laughs> I-, I laugh because it's scary. Yeah, it's, what it's else you can do? Like, I see. Okay, yes, we better do something. That. <laughs> Great show if you haven't seen it, Chernobyl. Yeah, fantastic. And the team from that are now working on The Last of they Us are, show, which yes. will be coming soon. But um, this, I, luckily enough, I think I was far, far, far enough away from the launch pad to, to be all right. Yeah, you were okay. You were okay. <laughs> James, we're going to talk about two new releases that are out this week. Mm -hmm. The first one is Don't Worry Darling, which is getting a lot of press at the moment because it's Harry Styles' new film, Florence Pugh, Chris Pine, and it's Olivia Wilde's follow-up to to Booksmart. Now, I haven't seen it and you have, but I'm interested to know your thoughts because I... First of all, we're aware that there's been sort of like hoo-ha and, and stuff. Viral moments. Viral press going on around this one, which really should, is kind of irrelevant. I mean, we, we can touch on it because I think that'll be in people's minds going in. But I think, you know, we want to talk about the film in and of itself. Yeah. But I, when I went to see um, Moon Age Daydream, which we'll talk about after yes, this, so they showed to a, an extended trailer for, for okay. Don't Worry Darling. So it popped up and Olivia Wilde was like, hey, Odeon, you know, visitors... We're going to show you a, a tra- and it was just a trailer, just a long trailer. And yeah. I and I thought immediately, I was like, I don't want to watch this. Yeah. So I looked down and let the trailer play out in front of me. And even by not looking at it, 
and I've only ever seen the original trailer once. But just hearing some of the dialogue, and tr- I was trying to shut it out. I was like, I feel like I've seen everything of this film and I feel like I have zero intrigue left in this film to enjoy because I, I feel like I know exactly where it's going. Mm-hmm. It hasn't surprised me at all. There's, there's no intrigue left. I was like, oh, from what I can tell, from not even looking at it, this is heading exactly in the direction I think it is. So my, my, my interest in seeing this film is actually nosedived, yeah. which is a shame because you think the marketing would do the opposite. Anyway... You've actually been to see it. <sighs> Just on that, do you remember we reacted to the trailer months ago? Yeah. We put a video up and there, it was a cool trailer and we were both really interested to see it. Mm. And it had some very interesting ideas. And we were both like, ooh, could potentially be good. This yeah. is way before any like Chris yeah, yeah. Pine Spitgate happened oh, God, and like the whole drama Shia LaBeouf. But yeah, we were we were interested to see it. Um, don't worry, darling. So, as you said, it's Olivia Wilde's latest stars, Florence Pugh and Harry Styles, who has a bigger role in this than I thought. Mm. But... Um, if you've seen the trailer, you get a good sense for what this is about. It um, basically is set in this 1950s, 60s, 50s-ish okay. compound in the middle of the desert. And you can tell that they're living in this almost like separated, mm. very overly manicured, beautiful mm. uh, community. And um, uh, the, the, the- Can I just say, sorry, this will be spoiler free. Sorry, well. yes, this, no will spoilers, be, this will be completely spoiler free. And Florence Pugh and Harry Styles play Alice and Jack, and they are one of the few couples that live in this compound. And the gender roles, the very traditional gender roles of 70 years ago are like really clearly defined. You've got the men who go out in their beautiful suits and fancy sports cars, and they go off to work in this job that they cannot talk about, but it's all called the Victory Project. We're all doing things like technical engineering for the Victory Project. And the women stay at home with big smiles on their face, and they clean, and they prepare this beautiful home and a beautiful meal, and it's wonderfully idyllic. And a certain event happens to someone inside their community that makes Florence Pugh's character, Alice, question everything that's going on and be like, hang on, what are all our husbands doing Mm. and why are we just here and Mm. what what exactly is going on and chris pine who actually i think is brilliant in this i think it's my favorite chris pine performance he's found her her, her, him and florence pugh this amazing chemistry in this Mm. film it's it's really good and he plays this almost like stalin-esque monarch that is sort of you know he has his side profile portrait on a lot of the buildings and he does these um old school radio broadcasts every day and he talks a lot about this vision that we're all creating and we're all apart working together to strive to be part of something greater and what we're doing and you know it's very sort of like propagandary and um the whole thing is about how she starts to sort of lose her mind and question what her life is and how it exists this film really for me felt like a film of two halves if there was an imaginary intermission and you took me out halfway through and you said james what are you thinking of don't worry darling i'd have gone oh really enjoying it yeah. like the way in which it unfolds its mystery fantastic all the ideas it's throwing out really really cool and the, and and it's it the way in which it it looks to like slowly dissect its central mystery yeah fantastic there's loads of wonderful little sequences where they use um dancing in the mind to represent like the grace of and symmetry that lots of people do together and control and how we all move as one and there's all these like interesting ideas and there's there's a shot in the trailer that was quite cool where she's making breakfast and she's got a carton of eggs and she realizes this egg is is hollow and she crushes it and realizes mm. that like this egg is empty and like she does another one. There's all this really weird imagery to yeah. sense that everything is perfect, yet something is not quite right. 
then the, the second half happens. And I feel like a really great magic trick, often like the answer to what happens is really quite dull and mm. underwhelming. And it's, I'm really sad to say that like, that's what it felt like learning about how your favorite magic trick is done because Florence Pugh and I think the direction is so good at like introducing you to this mm. very intriguing world and this very intriguing mystery. But then I get to the end and I'm kind of like, the most obvious answer was right. Because oh, I did okay. kind of, I think I predicted 80% of it. Well, I'm not like perfect, but yeah, like sure. I was pretty sure by the time I got 30% in, I was like, I reckon it's this. Mm. And then to know that it That's was what I that. was afraid of. To know that like it was just that is quite disappointing. So again, like you asked me halfway through with all the expectation of this like yeah. great, great writing that could be delivered. And then at the end, I go, actually, I don't think there's anything that special or clever about what it did. Yeah. It's a real shame because like it knows how to set up a really good mystery. Harry Styles is, um, I would say when you when you have a pop star introduction to your film, you don't want it to be distracting. I think if your if your pop star is in there, and I, all I'm thinking about is that is Harry David Styles. Bowie oh, yeah. or that is Harry Styles, yeah. I'm thinking that's that's a problem. Yeah. He's actually not that distracting. You feel, I feel like he does quite well. There are one or two moments where it went a little bit Hollyoaks, oh, but it? other than that, he's just a little <laughs> bit like that's a British soap for international. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's very sort of like uh, EastEnders equivalent. He's he's not he's not he's not bad that he's distracting, but he's not amazing that I'm like I need to be talking about Harry Styles in this right. film. He's just there and it's it's fine. But he's a much bigger part in it than I thought then he, he would should be. be. Florence. Be uh, no, do, you, do you think no, no, I don't think okay. I don't think he does it a disservice. I just okay, think fine. he's 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 kind of kind of bland. Okay, if I was he's to say. there. Yeah, it's probably, a that's probably one of the best outcomes for him, really, because it, yeah. yeah, it could have been a disaster. Great, Great. PR yeah. for the film. I think he's been. Um, oh, Florence totally. Pugh continues to be yeah, one of the fantastic. best acting forces. Absolutely. I can't believe she's my age. I think, but she seems to have. I think she might be a bit younger, James. Is she a bit younger? Yeah. God, that's depressing. Yeah. But she seems to have like a. A, a gravity and weight to her acting that feels like well beyond her, yeah. well beyond her years. Um, and then yeah, Chris Chris Pine is uh, just like wonderfully like magnetic mm. and 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 sinister as this like mm. sort of obviously evil overlord that mm. looks watches over this society. And then him and Florence Pugh have some amazing scenes mm. where the tension between them is like fantastic, yeah. and they're they're just like doing in this really sort of um, tame and and beautiful environment. Um, and that that's where I feel is it was a film of two halves. And that, that's what's a shame about it. So first of all, I mean, it sounds like okay, you know me, James. Yeah. And you know, like I said, I was I think I could tell where this film is going. Do you think I would have the same thing as you? Do you think I would know where this is going? Yeah, if you if I, I asked you 35 minutes in, okay, what, what do you think is gonna happen? I'd say, yeah, you're about 80% right. Right, okay. I uh, no, I just think which you is, would predict. Which is it. a shame. Look, I, I, I don't wanna I'm very keen I am sorry. I, I do want to see it. I was you know, slightly down put by, like I said, the marketing. I love the fact that it's an original IP. I don't think, is yeah. it even based on a novel or anything? I think it's, I, I think it's- say a, it was, I don't think it is. That's great. I like that Olivia Wilde has like, you know, uh, moving from being an actor into being a director. I yeah. really don't think that all of the hoo-ha in the press would have happened to a male director. I think, I, know that, mean, I, yeah. I think it's been a little- It's like stereotypical thing. catty female drama, totally. right? It, it, I think it's been whipped up and it's quite unfair on her. I, um, when you mentioned about Chris Pine, I'm really glad yeah. to see when you hear him say he, that he's sinister because I, I've always found Chris Pine a really interesting uh, presence. Yeah. He, he's not only very glamorous and yes. very attractive with his, his like pearl blue eyes, yeah. but he's got, we know he can do funny charming as, as um, Kirk. Kirk? 
Kurt. Captain Kurt. Kurt. Kirk. Sorry, Kirk, it's yeah. been so long since those films were yeah. out uh, in Star Trek or uh, Steve Trevor in, in Wonder Woman. But he has got that kind of, he's got a great voice. Fantastic and I think voice. That sinister edge I've been really wanting. He's to really convincing. Him. I wanted to follow him. Yeah. I was like, yeah, you're, it makes me confirm my idea that we don't need politicians. We need actors that have like really <laughs> smart people behind them. And that's all we need in this world. Um, yeah, it's like, I don't really, it, it, uh, th- that's my main thing. It's like, wow, this is a film of two halves. And like the more, the more, the film revealed its central mystery, the less and less interested oh. I was in. Because I, what I will give it is that like Florence Pugh in the direction, the storytelling, it's immediately gripping. The first half, yeah. I was like really hanging on every word. And it has that effect where it's like, as soon as it started, I'm paying attention to every interaction. Because yeah. I know it's a mystery. I want to yeah. figure it out. And every time someone says something, I'm like, ooh. And I'm like, do they know what's going yeah, on? Right. And I'm thinking like, that, that's for me the mark of a successful film. Like yeah. you've got me engaged and then just like as it reveals it's the magic trick effect where like it is just a bit of string or it is just a a card under the sleeve and then i'm like oh how disappointing you never should have showed me some films can stick the landing though and do very well at doing that prestige or whatever but you know okay so this is in this like stepford wives even black mirror-esque territory i guess it's yeah it's 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 similar to a a get out a truman show a succession it's it's in that territory succession Yeah, yeah, the TV show. Yeah, yeah, it's elements of that for sure. Oh, wow, okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, You haven't seen it, so. (laughs) Is there any comparison with WandaVision? On a surface level, when I saw it advertised, I thought, okay, you've got a 1950s kind of look, very much informed by uh, the way that the media portrayed the 50s and 60s, typical gender roles, something's happening in the community. Yeah, early early episodes of WandaVision, sure. Early episodes of WandaVision. Yeah, I'd say so. So... I think are you, can, are you recommending it, or is it, is it hard to rationalise those two halves? It's a good, it's a good, it's a good time watching it, okay? Because you'll enjoy the process of maybe I've not slightly uh, taken away the fun of that first half from you now by speaking about it, but I still think if you the acting performances all round are really good, mm. and I think the presentation of its ideas, I enjoyed the way in which they talk about structure and order. And that's what I find quite compelling. But like now I've told you that the ending isn't, it's probably what you think. And it's probably less interesting than the questions. It might be a bit of a frustrating Is is it something that like with all that talent and it's clearly got talent behind behind the camera. Yeah. It's clearly got a vision. It's got great cast. Fantastic. Do you wish with all that assembled talent, it could have been more than the sum? Is is it kind of less than the sum of its parts? It's like, it's like you've done so well to set up and it turns out that like, you're not actually, you don't actually have an interesting idea. Okay. Yeah. Or it's something that I've seen before. It's hollow. Yeah. uh, Just one thing as well. It it, it really convinces you to think that it's going to be something different. And actually I found it quite a simple explanation. You've reminded me there's, uh, I, I have to, I think I have spoken about this before, but it's really strange when you have a film that is so markedly in two halves. Not, yeah. And not even like, this is part one, this is part two, but where like something happens halfway through and it completely changes everything. And I talk, yeah. I think I mentioned before, there's that film that came out on Prime last year with Rosamund Pike, What I Care A Lot. Oh, yeah, I just yeah, want to go on and go, first half is like really interesting, really uncomfortable, yeah. really gripping. And then we... You, you could, like you say, pause it, take you out. So what do you think about how's it go? Yeah, this is this is really yeah. cool. Put you back in and then it, one scene happens and it completely changes the whole course of the film and it just like falls apart like a set of dominoes. Yeah. So you finish, you're thinking, what if I, it's hard to get a, a consensus opinion about uh, or a whole formed opinion about one film and it's it's like two distinct bits. But. Yeah. And this, this, I would say that that's definitely true. This doesn't have like a midpoint moment. It's yeah. more like a, a slow unraveling. And then yeah. by the end, I'm like, this is this is a lot interesting to me. And then like when when there's like a moment to reveal like yeah. a big reveal. I'm like, yeah, I know. 
Yeah, I was never like, what I will say though is you said this about the Batman when the reveal happened, you were like, okay, but I actually found the reveal in the Batman to be quite good. So maybe people enjoy it. Yeah. Look, Harry Styles has another film coming out in a few months time as well called My Policeman Policeman with Emma Corrin. And that looks really interesting. I think it'd be interesting to take that and this and sort of see, maybe he's at the beginnings of a... Uh, 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 you know, a, a good acting career. I think he, you know, he's, uh, he's, I don't he, think you can include Dunkirk as a strong acting performance because he's more just like a reacting presence to yeah. this whole like opera. And not distracting in that either, no. I thought. Um, he's un- in- unexplainably British. They don't explain why? No. Is which anyone is else British? No one else is British. That kind of which I find the illusion, is right? weird because everyone's in this like very 90, like this and is what we American, know yeah, is like Eisenhower an American, era kind exactly. of thing. And he is British to no... Uh, to know it and I'm like oh are you going to address like that could be an interesting point to like say why people come from different places because one, one of the things is that she's like she realises that everyone has a very similar story for how they met and how they got there right but I'm like you've also got this guy who's unexplainingly English yeah but yet his accent sort of floats around American because I think Harry okay. Styles' accent does okay um, so if yeah. you've if you do you have anything more to say on it no okay. I don't so okay so if you've seen Don't Worry Darling and you have some thoughts on the back of off the back of James's review, let us know. I do have one more thing to say. Beautiful costume design, yeah. amazing, amazing hair and makeup. Yeah. Like the uh, the outfits and the the way which um, there's this first scene where you're introduced to these like very clear separation of gender roles, yeah. and the way in which this one I was really enjoying the film. There's <laughs> the, way, the way in which the men all seem to come out of their homes after they've had their breakfast and kissed their wives goodbye at the same time, and they move into their cars and drive out of this cul-de-sac yeah. almost like a dance, and it's like perfect yeah. synchronized um, movement. And I, I was like. That's what I was like, oh, this is like a dance. And they yeah. keep like showing these flashes of dance. It was like, oh, this is really cool. And then like the whole the whole design of it looks beautiful. And you've got Harry Styles looking beautiful, Florence Pugh looking beautiful. Um yeah, I just want to give it a shout out for being very well presented. Well, good. But that's all I have to say now. Okay. Yeah. Like I just said, thank you. Uh, <laughs> if you have seen Don't Worry Darling, let us know your thoughts and or if you disagree with James, or yeah. maybe maybe you like the way it was going, and we'll uh, we'll get back to you. Absolutely. So George, a film which I haven't seen, but I've seen the trailer for. We actually, I saw the trailer with you when we went to go and see Nope in the IMAX, and it looked incredible. And it had—did you see it in IMAX, by the way? Yes. Yeah. Not in it, Waterloo IMAX. I saw it in my local IMAX. It was a uh, Moon Age Daydream, right. which is the new f- documentary film all about David Bowie. Yeah. I know very little about it, sure. but I'm really interested yeah. to hear what you have to say. Yeah. So, how is it? What did well, you think? Okay, so. Moon Age Daydream is a really kind of hard film to describe, but just to give you some context, I was really intrigued by it because I'm a lot... Are you a David Bowie fan? Uh, Pass pa- me, okay. I wouldn't say... I'm like, I enjoy his music, but I'm not a fan. Sure, I'm like a lifelong David Bowie fan. Yeah, really, really cool. Um, and when I saw the trailer with you in... in uh, when we saw Nope, the intriguing thing was that this is, was being released in IMAX. Yeah. It's not a typical format which you would release a documentary It's an interesting for, right? yeah, format to show. they were going to push it, and they released it in IMAX initially, and it's now out for general release gotcha. in most cinemas, right? And Moon Age Daydream is a film by Brett Morgan, who has made other documentaries about the Kurt Cobain. He made Montage of Heck. And, oh, I love that one. Um, uh, yeah, and Ronnie Stones as well, Crossfire Hurricane. Describing it as a documentary is almost uh, too restrictive for it because I think like you, you watch yeah. this trailer, which is incre- highly visual, and you think, what is this film? Brett Morgan did a really good interview with Lauren Laverne on Six Music where he kind of described it. I'm going to read out his quote so I just get this right. He said, This is not a biographical or chronological documentary. This is an experience to immerse yourself in Bowie's mind and bathe in Bowie's imagery. This is not fact-based or information-based. And he points out that, like, you know, 
because so much has been said about Boeing and he's such a famous public figure, it was like, I don't want to make a documentary about the Beatles that tells you that they grew up in Liverpool and all that stuff because yeah. that's known. So he wanted to do something completely different with it. And uh, he refers to these three great films that the BBC made, which are more documentary, traditional documentaries about Bowie, which is called the Five Years series, which I recommend to people just for context, which is, it's like five years, the last five years and the first five years. So five years is about um, the years between Bowie retiring ostensibly in 2003 after having like a, a heart bypass and then coming back in 2013. And it's about the years leading up to that moment. And then it's like the last five years are about the last five years of his life and how he sort of, you know, rounds up his career and then, you know, uh, dies. You know, it's 69. It's not old. You know, he could have been making music for, for many more years. And then the first five years is about all basically how he failed for many years to try and break through. And he tried all these different um, identities before ultimately breaking through with Ziggy Stardust. Um, so that's that's what I would describe Moon Age Daydream as. It looks right? a little bit like an like a museum exhibition it, right. piece, like yes. an interactive it creative is a, output. It output. is a kinetic, kaleidoscopic, psychedelic exploration of David Bowie that understands the importance of imagery and pop culture and uh, sound and music on Bowie's persona and uses uh, incredible cinematic visuals to explore the landscape of his mind. Wow. Right? Um, and even though he says it's not chronological, it does actually follow uh, a narrative that I think Bowie fans will be familiar with. So just to try and describe it, um, you know, the film begins with this very ominous quote from Bowie with this like... Underneath it. It's like the beginning of Blade Runner. And it's like... Um, Bowie talking about Nietzsche and about the Superman and like how man was dead and God was back. And it sets up Bowie as this kind of like outer space figure. And then you get all the stuff about Ziggy Stardust coming down to earth and the shots of the moon. It's like tree of life at, really? at times. Wow. Okay. And then the loose narrative follows Bowie exploding onto the scenes with Ziggy Stardust in, in the early seventies. Then his uh, move to America where he breaks America, becomes very disillusioned, becomes um, kind of worn out with the kind of uh, vacuousness of LA. Um, then his move to Berlin where he was trying to beat his drug addiction and kind of stripped down everything about um, music that he was working on and worked with Brian Eno and made heroes and then built himself back up again, came back to the West and... Uh, basically launched himself now as a pop star and reached mass audience with Let's Dance and like the um, serious Moonlight tour, and then follows bits on after that. That's like the, that's like the, the the logical through line for this for this film. Um, in describing it, I think really it is for I think core David Bowie fans would get mm -hmm. the most out of it. Yeah. Like if you'd come to see it with me, I think you would have found it visually spectacular, yeah. which it is. And and what is great <laughs> is that he like will take the opening uh, chords of Space Oddity, but then weave it through to another track of Bowie's from 20 years later in his career. And there are these motifs and, and, and deconstructed songs that are like fragmented throughout that really creates an interesting sensation. But, you know, don't go along expecting to see like, David Bowie gig or gave David Bowie concert, you know what yeah. I mean? Um, I, as, as a Bowie fan, as I knew that was the trajectory of his career, I could just about follow it. Um, it's a bit long. It's over two hours, two hours 15. Okay. And I felt like, you know, 
it was almost, I don't want to say indulgent, but this is clearly something that Brett Morgan is incredibly passionate about. And, and it's like a love letter and it's a, it's a video essay. And I, there were times I thought, that's great, but bring it down. Bring it back. I know you're trying to go into space, but bring it back down to earth a little right, bit. Yeah. So it's interesting because most documentaries nice. bring their subjects back down, literally ground their subjects. Let's, yeah. let's see, touch it. Brett Morgan's done the opposite. He says, let's go into space and just explore this guy, right? Yeah. What does work great though is that it, it, the, the, the footage is, is I believe there are, there are hours uh, of footage that he w- went through in the David Bowie archive, right? For, for two years, he scrolled through and there's, there's, there's footage that has never been seen before. And there's very, very intimate um, and brilliantly restored uh, footage, not only of Bowie performing, they did 4K restorations of like the Ziggy Stardust tour. And there's this great bit where he does a Beatles cover. Um, but there's also um, like shimmering, like um, Fujifilm uh, stock of him walking through Japan in like a shopping mall being disillusioned. They've restored of his film That's roles. Beautiful. It's, it's beautiful. And um, <clears throat> there's shots of him painting video art, I'm um, sorry, painting visual art in his studio. And um, Brett Morgan said it was great when he went through it because like, there would be eight hours of David Bowie just painting, but like there'd be one minute when John Lennon walks in off camera and starts talking oh, to wow. him. It's just very exciting. Yeah. Um, there's also shots of Bowie dancing in his performance. There's a bit where he gets like a, um, a face mask constructed and you're seeing them lather on this plaster. Um, Did I see that in the trailer maybe? Yeah, I think, I think so. so. And, yeah. and um, you, you get to sort of this very intimate uh, um, sensation with him. Also because... The whole film, the only voice you really hear is David Bowie's. You get interviewers asking him questions, but it is driven by him. Do you remember when I talked to you before about that film about Marlon Brando called Listen to Me, Marlon? Yes. Which was like, it took all the interviews and voice tapes that Marlon Brando ever made, and it used that to make a film about him, and his was like the main authoritative voice going through. This is like a psychedelic version of that. So you'll have Bowie, they'll stitch an interview that Bowie did in like 72 with an interview he did in 77 about like how he's feeling. And what really comes through, and I found really enriching as a, as a Bowie fan, is that you get this strong sense that he he was a true artist and a true like cultural observer that was incredibly wise. I mean, there's a very funny, um, very famous clip that isn't in the film, but it's like done the rounds on the internet, where Bowie in like 2000 tries to explain to Jeremy Paxman how important the internet's going to be. Oh, like, I think I have and, seen and, that. And he was just incredibly wise. And um, there's a great bit as well where he's made this big success. He's in the 80s and he's got Let's Dance and this sort of journalist says, oh, I think, you know, some people would say you've, you, you've sold out. And he said, mm, oh, you know, you've reached a mass audience. He said, I will never begrudge a person for an artist for reaching, a, for finding an audience. He said, poverty does not equal purity to me. And it's just the, just the wisdom and, and, the, and how brilliantly spoken he is. Um, what I also think is great is that um, Brett Morgan uses the film history of David Bowie to really invoke a strong sense of mood. So Bowie was... Yeah, was many things. And as this film covers, he was not just a musician. He was an actor. He was an artist. He was a, a visual artist. He was a dancer. He was so many things. He yeah. was just so all-consuming and across artist, all so many different... Across yeah, the absolutely. So obviously, you know, he's in the prestige, but they use extended clips from The Man Who Fell to Earth and from uh, Merry Christmas, Mr. Lawrence, just to create a sense of where Bowie was at that time. And I got a much more refreshing take of, of, of how he thought about things. Which is like what it should do, right? Absolutely, it re- make you rethink who that person More is. More so than it, it, it is a, a study in a very from. yeah, in a very unique way. Um, I mean, uh, Brett Morgan has said he's like. Bowie wasn't a futurist. He wasn't just about thinking about the future. He was more like a cultural anthropologist. He was somebody who was like looking at what was happening and putting it through his own filter. Um, It's funny at times. Bowie was very witty. It's 
brilliant to look at. Yeah, it looks it looks and sounds like a feast for the ears and Absolutely. eyes. Absolutely, like, for everyone who loves it. Do you know what was so great? So I saw it in the Odeon IMAX in Wimbledon, right? Yeah. And um, you know, it's not Waterloo IMAX, sure. but the sound. You know, like you and I complained about cinemas turning it down. Yeah. This one, if anything, turned it way they too knew. far. I, but I was so glad. My ears were like, and, and, and obviously they come in with some great Bowie tracks. And I'm yeah. sitting thinking, oh, I've got to go back and just rinse this guy's yeah. uh, back catalogue. Um, so if you're a Bowie fan, I think you're going to find it really interesting. If you're not a Bowie fan, you're only a casual interest, I think you might find it hard. But it is such a unique picture that it's hard not to tear your eyes away from it. You know what it is? It's like... To quote, I think I put this on Letterboxd. It's like, to quote David Bowie, it's, this was no movie. This was hazy cosmic jive. That's, it, you have to see it to believe Love it. That. You can follow George on Letterboxd <laughs> at George Pulp. Yeah. Um, it's interesting, like, you talk about how breaking down the structure and not really calling it a documentary, but more like an, an expression of that artist's work and you use storytelling to do that. Like, I found mm. that about uh, Kurt Cobain's montage of Heck, where mm. he used his diary scribblings mm. as a format to tell the story of what was going on in his mind. And some of it was, like, the innate ramblings of a tortured teenage incel. Right, yeah. But it gave a completely different sense of, like, where that music from Nirvana came from. And I, like, mm. love Nirvana and Kurt Cobain. So I was like, oh, my God completely new perspective mm. on who that is and then some of the songs that he played live mm. and they gave it a new context for what he was feeling in that time based on his relationships yes. and you realize like that live performance was a reflection mm. on what was happening there and it completely now i listen to that live performance on spotify mm. and i'm like oh my god this has a completely like, screeches mm. and scratches of his voice have a completely different meaning yeah. i think that's what you that's what I, you I, hope from a really good documentary to like completely reframe the art and that's totally what's happening in this there are times when you can then draw a link and, and actually there are some very very like abstract but very brilliant um, visual things that Brett Morgan does to to refer back. So there's a bit where he he's showing loads of cinema clips, and there's a bit he he, he throws up a clip from the Red Shoes, the Pound and Pressburger film, great film by the way, and it shows Moira Shearer running and she jumps into the Red Shoes. And it was only days later I was like, he's put that in there because of that line in Let's Dance, which is put on your red shoes and dance the blues. I was like, that's so good. That's so funny. Um, <laughs> I think it's inspiring as well. You will come away thinking, uh, you know, he was a true artist and a true leader, but it's also quite poignant because you finish and think, you know, he, like I said, he was only 69 when he died. Yeah. It, it, is, it is a real loss that he is not still in the cultural landscape and, and still doing things. And, you know, he, his music right until the end was interesting and good and he never sold out and he was never naff and he was never passe. He was always a fascinating You could very figure. easily have become cringe like the things he said but it never it never felt like that yeah, he, he always felt cool and different and truly individual as, a, as an artist yeah and he never parried himself parodied himself and that, that's what i liked as well that there's a moment where he after coming back from berlin and, and like stripping everything down he has this sense of joy and, and as he gets older he's enjoying life more and he says yeah i'm just enjoying um uh, and, and taking joy from a lot more things, and which is great because you're so you, you're so used to hearing about how artists suffer for their art, and yeah. how serious it is, and there was nothing pretentious about David Bowie. That's what I really yeah. like. There was nothing pretentious. So that's interesting because he could he could come across easily as pretentious. Yeah, but I will I will totally accept if some people see this film and they go, oh, what I couldn't I couldn't overindulgent yeah, maybe a bit indulgent a bit pretentious I I, I couldn't follow it. Um, I think just try and go along for the ride. Nice.
I'm going to definitely check it out. Really? Yeah, 100%. I don't know if I'll see it in cinema because okay. I'm away for the next week. But I'll definitely... But if you watch it on a small screen, I would, I'm know, sure I do something. Just like, make oh, sure, yeah, make sure yeah. your audio quality is, definitely. is very good. I might sit next to my TV like with it there with headphones yeah. and try and recreate like said, it's more like It's experience. like Tree of Life level. Yeah. It's the kind of film that like, I'm really against this, but when they start doing films in VR... Uh, it's the kind of thing yeah, that, like, yeah, yeah. I'm sure that's going to happen. Yeah. Like, you want to watch something like that yeah. where, like, it's 3D audio. You're just, my whole field of vision is yeah. just like paint and Bowie and whatever. <laughs> I'm sure that'd be good. Amazing. So, okay. big thumbs up from you. I would say so. Yeah. I would say, with, 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 with the caveat that it's a little bit long, could be a bit pretentious. Um, uh, but I think if you're a Bowie fan or just interested, there is something in there. As always, you can send in your thoughts to hello at popkitchenpodcast.com. We would love to hear them. Okay, George, it's email time. Love it. Let's go through some of the questions that people have sent us. As always, if you wanted to send a question into the show, you can do by emailing hello at popkitchenpodcast.com. Just like Sam did. Yeah. Sam says, hi guys, love the podcast, and it is my favorite new thing to listen to. Oh, thank my you. question is, how good do you think Stephen Graham is? For me, he is my favorite actor, and his, de- and his dedication to his roles and conviction is extraordinary. Mm. This is England is one of the best British films ever produced, and his performance is the standout. Also a great performance is in Boiling Point, Line of Duty, The Irishman, Help, I Could Go On. Just wanted your thoughts. Love the podcast. Really, really enjoy it. Keep it up. All the best, Sam. Stephen yeah. Graham. Love, love Stephen Graham. We great did a review actor. of Boiling Point earlier this year please go check it out great it's one film. of our best performing reviews on the channel oh, really yeah it is oh, great um all downhill from there then um yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, Stephen graham is a great actor and what i really like is that he's gone he's had a really honest trajectory of going from supporting actor guy in background to being a leading man in his own right you know i remember seeing him in snatch with jason yeah. statham which i think for a lot of people was probably the first time they saw him and then he would just turn up in stuff yeah, I could say as a supporting actor doing this. And, and in the past, I'd say five years, he's really come through. I think he had, I didn't see Line of Duty, but he had a, I know he had a great performance in that. To see him in The Irishman is great. Um, he's one of those actors that's worked with so many talented directors yeah. and other talented actors. You can clearly tell he's been so good as a peripheral character for so long that it's like been impossible to ignore yeah. him as a presence. Like, oh, you know, you should get Stephen Graham. Yeah. And that's probably why it's, his career has proliferated. He, I'm so sorry. There are like weird crows oh. outside chirping. There if are you a can murder hear. Ravens yeah. Outside. I'm sorry if you ominous. can hear like the, the, the ominous crowing. Stephen Graham, yeah. here, I guess, who summoned me. He yeah. also seems like a, a very warm, genuine person if you see him interviewed. Humble, uh, humble. very grounded. Um, yeah, a great actor. F- fantastic. And Boiling Point, if you haven't seen it, we have a review of it. It's on Netflix. Check it out. This next one is from Rob, who writes into the show. and says, all right, boys, exclamation mark. <laughs> I've been loving the podcast and look forward to it every week now. I've worked my way through your entire back catalogue. I tend to find you. myself agreeing with 99% of your opinions. It's all about that and it's 1%, great though. to listen to other like-minded people on these film subjects. I love there's 99%. Yeah. It's like everything. But there's, you know probably, what that one, I mean, there's one thing. I know what that 1% is. What? It's Hacksaw Ridge, probably. Yeah, yeah, he's, <laughs> He's got the Hacksaw Ridge poster on his, uh, on his wall. Uh, I was just wondering what some of your most rewatched films were and what draws you back to them. Mine would probably be Peter Jackson's King Kong. It's a film Ooh, I could I... only see half of and still be satisfied. That I, I see what you mean by that. I'll get onto it later. Uh, I even had the accompanying video game, which by today's standards, yes. standards is probably god-awful. It is god-awful. And that game was called Peter Jackson's King Kong, the official game of the movie, because they had, they had to call it I Peter can't... Jackson's yeah. King Kong. But anyway, um, I, I'll let you finish that email. Go on. Yeah. Uh, 
It's Bart, my favorite Jack Black performance, as it felt like a character he'd never really done before and would most likely never do again. Yeah, uh, the visual soundscape, nods to 1930s filmmaking and yeah. acting styles are fantastic, and I think it holds up incredibly well for a film that was released 15 plus years ago. I'd love to get your take on this film. What some of your most beloved and rewatched films are and why? Keep up the good work. Okay. Keep up the good work, lads. You're smashing it. Big love, Rob. Okay, right. So Peter Jackson's King Kong. First of all, that video game was not absolute trash. I got given that for Christmas <laughs> 2005, and it's I played the crap game. out of it. I love that you what, have a Tommy gun, and I. I if you, if you put in cheats, which I always used to do with yeah. video games, you had unlimited ammo. So you could just fire a Tommy gun at a dinosaur. You could pick up the bone and use it as a spear. And you just find the spears. <laughs> I loved that game. I played it for ages. And then, I, you, and then you get to be King Kong for some of it as well. I, I It does not hold up well. I, 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 I don't, don't think, think it's I, a good I'm game. sure by today's standards, yeah. it's pretty ropey. But I remember enjoying that. Well, I'm glad you enjoyed it. I, I think there's a shame that there aren't more licensed games. They've all disappeared. Like, you used to have great Lord of the Rings ones. And yeah. Stuff. Oh, the Return of the King one was great. Oh, so good. Yeah. I love um, that. Sorry. Sorry. Um, as for King Kong, uh, I saw that at the cinema. Yes. I remember thinking, at the, even at 2005 at the time, I remember thinking it's a bit melodramatic. Three hours, 15 minutes. Yeah, it's Twas long. beauty I, kills I just, the beast. Yeah, and it's just the shots of, you know, Naomi Watts sometimes works for me, sometimes, and, and, and this sure. one, maybe it's the way she was directed. I found her, um, sorry, I feel like I'm being really a bit mean there. She's, Naomi Watts is a good actress. It's more that like in King Kong, She's just given a lot of, ah, ah, no, to do. To be fair, she's reacting probably against the green screen. She's got nothing yes. to work with. Um, I find it a little bit um, saccharine, a bit more. It felt cheesy, uh, like, for, for the time it came out. Yeah, it's chilly. a little bit, um, like, Adrian Brody is, is, a character, is an actor I really like, but even he's a little bit like, oh, my God. Yeah. We got it. Rose, you got to get out. That was the remember. first film that I saw Kyle Chandler in. Because he plays the movie star. Yes. And he's got, because Carl Chandler has one of those faces that can be in like any time period in the 1940s yeah. onwards. Timeless right? face. Uh, I love Carl Chandler as an actor. So that's probably the most interesting thing I could think of from that film. I think the, I think the beginning of King Kong is good. Yeah. Like the way in which it sets up its like intriguing Skull Island yeah. thing. But it, I think it's about almost 40, 50 minutes before you get to the island. Yeah. So it's a lot, it's a, it's a long film. Yeah. Like, I've not seen it in but such you know a long what? time. This is the thing. To, uh, sorry, was that Rob? Was that Rob. Rob, we ha I, I haven't seen that film in such a long time that I really probably should go back and rewatch it before giving an authoritative opinion. What I will say about the most rewatched films we've ever uh, gone through, this is always an interesting one because, like, I, you know, I love films and I like rewatching them, but really, the most, if you were to pull the data, the most rewatched films are always going to be Christmas films because those are the films you return to every single year. At least yeah. my, my thing, it's like, what film do you watch every year? Mm. Uh, I, not even my favourite films do I watch once every year. So probably it's all the Christmas films, I'd say. I've seen The Prestige about eight times. Yes. And it's, and it's one of my favourites. It's one you can keep, keep rewatching like once a year and yeah. it's, it's still good. And every time I put it on, I do go, oh yeah, it's fucking great. I know, and it's, it's the exact same point. They have the whole opening and then it's the flashback shot of the train going through the Colorado mountains. Yeah. And I go, oh, yeah. This is good. I'm this in for a ride. You got to rub your hands yeah. together. Mine are very uh, me. It's the extended... I watch them when I'm sick, and it's the extended editions of Lord of the Rings, right. and it'll happen, you know, once a year, and I'll go through, and that's a, that's a 12 or 13-hour commitment, yeah. depending on how you count. Uh, so I'll do that a lot. Other than that, most of you watch, I agree, the Christmas ones are a good shout. I'd say, like, if you were to tally it... Yeah from when I was a kid and I would re-watch a yeah. film obsessively, you've got like T Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man 1 probably has the, has the, uh, yeah, I probably has the, the number one on there. Um, weird shout out for a thing that I don't think anyone else has seen. Although, do let me know if you've seen this. When I was ill, the thing I used to watch the most was a two-part, like 
HBO BBC collaboration series, I think, called... It might not have even, even been as prestigious as HBO. It was called Merlin, and it had Sam oh, Neill. Have you seen it? With Sam Neill as Merlin. Sam, yeah, I have seen that. Yeah, yeah that is yeah. just completely... I know, right? And it's got uh, uh, Helen Bonham Carter in it, Martin Short. I have not Howard. thought about that Merlin. Um, I know. And I used to watch that every single time I was ill. I used to have the video really? cassette with the purple cover. And 98. Miranda, Rich- Miranda Richardson is Miranda Queen, Richardson. Queen Mab. Martin Short. Yeah. James L. Jones. Yeah. And he was yeah he was the rock mountain thing. Oh, I have not so thought that is completely transformative. I've seen, seen that like at the top. I like, love it. That was so good. And there's so many of those actors would then turn up in Game of Thrones like years later. Wow, I that Merlin. That so many times. And then there is the Colin Morgan show. Yeah, on I BBC. never watched that. No, I, no, I watched a bit of that, and oh, it no. was questionable. Yes, it was like the uh, the, the production budget was re- BBC used to have their own brand of like production yes, quality, yeah, yeah. and it was really like of that era, like Doctor Who level. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But that Merlin is, I think, is still very good. It's a complete story. God, do you remember that? About that? Yeah, yeah Queen Mab and the. And there's a dragon in it, and there's a bit with the the, the frozen bit in the lake, and the yeah, and, and Maud, um, Mordred. Do you remember Mordred yeah, in the black hair? Really like, Mordred, <laughs> come back to me. And Frick, you know, Martin Short would play Frick. Don't turn your back on me, Frick. I've not. Th- I was like unlocked a memory in my yeah, brain that was go. otherwise you lost. You are welcome. Thank if there's you. anyone else out there who watched the 1998 Merlin with <laughs> Sam Neill, please let me know because I have a real cherished spot for that in my heart. Oh, fantastic. Fantastic. Oh yeah, let me know like what films you watch. Well, there's something that you just always find yourself rewatching. Like I think our prestige one is always like I, I'm, always, I'm always happy. To, I told like, you, this is many years ago. And I, oh, sorry, that's oh, right. Sorry to cut you off. That's oh, right. This is many episodes ago, and I think I did read out. But I told you about my friend who, who like you and me, hates the film Jumper, right. but he has seen it probably like 18 times. Oh, and he 18. No, he was like, what? How, how has he seen it so much? And yet hates it so so much. God, what eighteen? That's really. I a... think it was something like eighteen. It's something ridiculous. That is insane. Yeah. Anyway, this next one is from Douglas. He says, "Hi guys, another TikTok, uh, another." He says, "Hi guys, another TikTok convert here in Glasgow." That's hey. quite hard to say. Uh, short, concise question: My wife and I are heading to Paris slash Disneyland for our honeymoon at the start of October. Any film recommendations before we go? Like you talking about New York films when George was traveling there right. would be cool. He's got a longer um, question, but short one. Question. Uh, it's, Walt it's, Disney. I mean, well, I mean, do you just go with a Disney recommendation? I think for Disney, that kind of takes care of itself. For Paris, à Paris. À Paris. Well, um, Ratatouille, because that, uh, that would make Ratatouille, sense. Ratatouille. Yeah. I would personally say yes. before sunset. Which, yes. Um, you're working I'm your way through. Working my way through. Guys, James is working his way through the Before trilogy. I am. Which I've told him to do because I've mentioned it every single bloody week this show. I've seen Before Part 1, Infinity War. Yeah. We, we, we will be doing a deep dive on those. So if you're listening to this and you want to... There will be an episode coming up where it will just be about those films. If you want to be you know, involved George's in that favorite episode, films. Yeah, my, one of my favourite films. Go and watch the Before trilogy and make sure you're clued up so when we do that episode, you can be a part of it. Um, that's Paris. I mean... Midnight in Paris, I, I think I don't think is a great film, but it's very Parisian. Ones. There are so many. Anastasia, the Disney. Because really? I'm thinking Disney. Yeah, that, that, that's a big secret. Like Paris holds the key Rush to Hour your heart. I've not seen Rush <laughs> Hour mean, Three, but I know it's <laughs> you know it's Paris. Um, um, whatever. Yeah, Disney uh, stuff. Uh, yeah, uh, magical uh, para- Parisian things. Uh, no, it's just it's just a ratatouille. Next. Yeah. 
Longer point based on last episode. I enjoy the show and it's always interesting to hear your perspectives when it comes to Marvel topics. When it comes to James asking, why do I need this? I was having a discussion with my mates about Marvel a few months ago when the divisive Moon Knight came out and we remarked that Marvel Studios is now running their TV and film productions kind of how they run the comic side. You don't have to pick up every comic book and every title issue character won't be for everyone. But when those characters appear in the big events that everyone reads, then it just helps you more. I think the same can be now said for the MCU where the Disney Plus shows are like the weekly comic issues fans pick up along the way, heading towards the big main events. Books like Civil War, Infinity War, which you can now buy years later as a package comprising all 12 issues. Mm. There are obviously many more stories, but I've just picked those two because of the successes of their MCU counterparts, Mm. even if not straight retellings of those stories. Interesting. Audiences are obviously at the point where they think they need to consume every corner of the MCU when it's maybe not the case. As for James's other criticism about it all about it not all tying in, I think the juggernaut will eventually roll on to one big story that we're as yet to be aware of. Okay. Nobody saw Thanos coming until the very end of phase one when we didn't even know that was a first phase. Keep up the good work, Douglas. Interesting. Yeah. And I kinda yeah. I kinda think you're right, because I think I I did say that why do I need this? And I think what we have to realize is that we shouldn't try and consume it all. And no. it's not it's not meant to be consumed for everyone. And it's meant to sort of try and appeal yeah. to as many different fringe audiences that hopefully act as your gateway drug into the main thing. Yeah. But yeah, George, any thoughts on that? No, no, I think that was um, summed up very well. Yeah, I think I think we're we're caught in a place where you and I are like, what we wanna we're interested in Marvel yeah. and, we, and it's so good when it's good. Yeah. So we're always trying to chase the dragon of that like high we yeah. feel when all the things come together and work. And I think we have a sort of a, a desire to try and watch as many things to contribute content for the show but realistically it's like it's not all yeah. for us it's not all going to be good and we get a little there bit there aren't enough hours in the day I listen back and I go god we're really cynical about the whole Marvel Star Wars Disney stuff but actually you know it, it's hard to try and try and stay excited but I think that's absolutely fair point Molly writes into hello at popkitchenpodcast.com. She says, hi, Pop Kitchen. I was watching the Lindsay Ellis videos about The Hobbit. Right. I was wondering if you believe that the ethics behind the making of a film affected your viewing of it. Love the podcast, and I wasn't sure about watching the new West Side Story. And yeah. after listening, did so straight away. So thank you, George, for recommending oh. that incredible film. Molly, um, yeah, on The Hobbit, in uh, terms of ethics I'm, not, ethics, I'm not sure what you mean, but what I did, I haven't seen that Lindsay Ellis video, but I know of uh, the videos that she makes. But I know that... When the Hobbit films were originally being made, they were going to be split into two, which at the time made headlines for being, you're splitting a 200-page children's book into two. That's like a bit much cash grab. And then during like the early stages of production, it became three films. There are moments in the behind the scenes of The Hobbit and that we know during the production process of that where Peter Jackson literally says to camera, I'm winging it. I am winging a lot of this. I'm never, I, I never should have done this much of a big production, never such a like 360-day shoot. Wow. Um, and you can almost tell that... He, I think he cleverly overshoots Peter Jackson and he always has more stuff yeah. to draw from, but I think, you know, if you've seen those films, you do know that they stretch a little bit thin, yeah. that you can kind of feel like someone at the top said, we can get three cinema tickets out of this, was, let's do it. Well, that's the thing. He said in an interview, oh, no, it was our decision, it wasn't a studio decision. And I'm like, I don't believe you. He was yeah, incredibly cynical. It, it just gets so so thin, that film. When you see Peter Jackson being like, uh, let's just invent this scene where it's with these really ancillary characters that's never going to link back to the yeah. main thing, but we're just going to come up with it because we've got the budget and we've got the time and that's what's a real, a real shame about it. Um, just on the West Side Story thing, um, I know I've mentioned that film a bit throughout the year, but I just want to mention Yes, I think that's a perfect time to watch it. With West Side Story, I think a lot of people are a bit like how I was before I saw it, which is like, they like the original, they have like, you know, kind of feel okay towards it as, a, as an IP, yeah. but they don't necessarily have that kind of kickstart to go and watch it. Yeah. My girlfriend went and watched it. She said to me, George, you got to go see it. It was amazing. I'll go with you again. 
We went and saw it. I loved it, as you know. Thought it was fantastic, incredibly moving, beautifully done, just incredibly beautiful and heartfelt from Spielberg. I then uh, said to my brother, my brother was like, I'm going to the cinema next week. I could go see Licorice Pizza or West Side Story. I said, well, whatever you do, you have to see West Side Story, preferably on the big screen. Right. You really must go. He said, okay, I'll go to that. I then get a voice note from him saying, it was amazing. Everyone clapped at the end. I'm so glad you made me go. Similarly, my flatmate was like, oh, you said West Side Story is good. Should I go see it? I said, if you've got time. Yeah, exactly. And then when they go, same thing, my flatmate came back. He was like, I cried six times. That is incredible. So just have faith and go and watch it. I think you'll be really pleased love that um, like, just like molly did just like molly did uh, we didn't get uh, do we have a name yeah we do have a name this one's from nick hi lads great podcast i'll avoid the cliche completely and say i started listening to you on the wireless back in the war <laughs> <laughs> coming to you live on radio 4 this is the pulp pulp kitchen, kitchen. I, I, i'm picturing you uh, nick just sitting like in an armchair facing away from your radio with a pipe and a newspaper yeah. maybe like an ink and quill writing writing this message to us have you seen them talking about the talkies <laughs> <Yeah>. recently <laughs> <laughs> like an update on the war. You know, it reminds me of my. Sorry, we will get to your email. Yeah, but like when I used to talk to my nan about the cinema, you know, she'd tell me about like the A picture and the, the pictures. B, the yeah, the pictures. pictures and the A picture and the B picture. And yeah. you go into the cinema, it doesn't matter what. Uh, you, they'd let you in at any point during the film. Yeah. And you'd sit there and you'd watch it to the end and you'd stay and then watch the beginning bit again. And that's you, crazy. And you'd get the A, a film, which is like, you know, the main sort of like prestigious picture. And then the B picture would be like the more comedy or the horror or the genre territory. Yeah. And, um, you know, people would smoke and you and they wouldn't even be seating. They'd just be like um, social steps. But, you know, they would just sit on like bench seating. Oh, uh, right, yeah. Um, well, in this cinema, at least. And I was like, wow. What a time to what see What a it. time. Probably the smoke of people's cigarettes filtering through yes. the, the light from the lens. Yeah. Um, so not the lens, the light from the projector. Brilliant. Anyway, That sorry. and smoking on planes blows my mind. Smoking on planes in particular, because I'm like, you are in a sealed tube with all that, like, uh, in a combustion engine, like a massive combustion yeah. engine. Mental. Anyway. Nick says, great podcast. Oh yeah, I'll avoid the cliche. Blah, blah, blah. Um, I just finished listening to your latest episode and wanted to offer some feedback on the topic of which streaming service will fold over the next few years. Okay. Uh, so if you don't know, we just had a little discussion about, we ended up, we, we were this talking about- our Disney one we did, the, the D3, <coughs> D23. We just had a comment on whether or not one of these is going to die and if like the amount of money they spend is sustainable. So go check that out if you haven't. Um, while I agree that the market is too crowded and with the economic downturn, brackets, thanks Putin, fighting, <laughs> uh, there will be undoubtedly be some consolidation in the sector. I concur that Apple, Disney Plus and Amazon Prime are too big to fail. Regardless of whether they make a profit, the parent company has deep enough pockets to keep the service running. Netflix is the only streamer not supported by a major studio so logic would suggest that it'll fail when things get tough but like you said on the pod it'll also def- be the default streamer for a lot of people yes. and i think that will keep it afloat but i do think it needs a massive pop cultural hit especially with a valuable ip like stranger things yeah. coming to an end so does that mean paramount plus is on the chopping block possibly or and i think this is more likely we're going to see a series of mergers in the sector this is interesting yeah, I so. um, and i think netflix is a logical company to look at merging with its weaker competition in a decade's time, we might have descriptions to Apple, to Disney, and to Netflix, Paramount, or Netflix HBO, or something like that. Interesting point. Um, I think. I, I, sorry, I, just that's say, right, go on. I think you're right. In the same way that um, Disney bought Fox yeah. for like a crazy amount of money, I could see Amazon or even Apple even just, just buying, going. just swallowing Netflix yeah. and, and like subsuming it. Netflix are $15 billion in debt, okay? Yeah. So. Um, my point was, I said something will fold. I think it's more really that something's got to give. I can see the mergers probably being, you're, you're right, why let a very valuable brand, even though it's not profitable as such, uh, disappear? It will be bought up and you know consumed elsewhere. 
Um, what do you think? I think that that sounds like a really I think it's a good likely take. thing. I think what we see across sadly across multiple industries and entertainment is that so much is becoming consolidated and more and more many companies are being owned by fewer and fewer so as a prediction that makes sense and you take in like you know how it's valued how much debt it has that seems that seems like it could happen i I was thinking about something as a tangent it is quite depressing how our culture or or at least our engagement with media culture has been carved up and owned by a handful of streaming services right and what i mean by that is that in the old days, if you said, "Oh, I went to see a film. It was great." Oh, well, where, oh, is that? Oh, that you just know that was on at the local cinema, yeah. Right? And everyone in your town and workplace would have access to that cinema. And they could go see it, right? Or yeah. I saw this show on TV. Everyone would have access to that yeah. TV show. Channel like, Four. So culture was <laughs> shared increasingly. And this is why I actually sometimes find it really boring to talk about TV with friends and stuff because it goes, "Oh, we've watched this great show. Oh, what's that on?" Netflix. Oh, we don't have Netflix. Oh, we have Disney though. We watch the. Oh, I don't have Disney. Yeah. Oh, but we've watched the same. Is that on Now TV? Or we didn't subscribe to Now TV? Fractured a little bit. And you've got this complete fracture where culture has been like carved off, and it's almost like who are you? Whose team are you on? Yeah. And you, you. It's very hard to have a consensus conversation about a TV show. If you bring up a TV show in a group of six people, I guarantee only three people would have maybe yeah. seen it <laughs> or have access it to it. Whereas it used to be yeah. ten years ago, fifteen years ago. Did you see that thing on BBC One? Everyone had seen. You know it. what? They're also cracking down on account sharing. Netflix for so long, you could have like five <laughs> yeah. people on an account. That's going to get slapped anyway. down. Uh, but he goes on to say, speaking of Netflix, do you think that the current events in the UK are going to impact the upcoming seasons of The Crown? Ah, While right, it's yes. always been suggested that the show would continue until the Queen Mother's death in 2002, it must now be tempting for Netflix to push for another season on mm. top of the six already produced slash in production to take it through to the present day. It's not like the 20 years since the, the death of the Queen Mother has been without interesting storylines. <laughs> anyway, I'd be keen yeah. to hear your thoughts. Keep up the great work and I'll keep my wireless tuned in. Nick. Thank you. I was thinking about the crown with you know the death of the queen and sort of the changing the monarchy. But I they I, stopped filming for the period of mourning. Right. Okay. Fair. Fine, rightly so. Fine, it would be strange right. to not. But um, it's interesting because I, I I thought you from Peter Morgan's point of view as the showrunner, you're creating this show, and all of a sudden, in the space of ten days, there's been a massive, massive, massive cultural shift in the UK. You might not feel like it, but there is a complete change of an era. Yeah. And you know, who knows what people's attitude to the monarchy now is now. So Peter Morgan might be thinking, I have no idea now how people are going to receive this new season, receive my show anymore. Their appetite was once this, but now we've had this change. They could reject it. They could engage. They could engage with this show. Depends how cynical yeah, it becomes, com- right? Completely differently. Um, that said, I still think they'll push ahead. And they, it, it is still coming out. And what's done is done. I I, I do think they'll, they will still wrap it in 2002. I know you say... It's not like the twenty years since it's been done. Done, um, it's not been short of interesting things to have happened. But all the stuff that's kicked off with the royal family in the past twenty years is mainly in the last five years, and it's Harry and Meghan and Prince Andrew. That stuff is kind of still happening, or still. I mean, the Prince Andrew stuff. I know that the, the, the case was settled, but like, it, it, all that stuff is still very fresh, and the story is kind of still being written about that. And I don't think the closer you get to present day, the less, the harder it is to stay objective. And the more you're going to get fall into territories and, and and camps and subjectivity because you're drawing from information that has not been verified. The dust hasn't settled. The du- literally, the dust hasn't settled. So I thought it would be much cleaner to end in 2002. And, and because, well, between 2002 and 2012, I couldn't think of a single thing that happens in, to the royal family that stands out. Except for Charles gets married to Camilla. Okay, whatever. Yeah. And then you have the royal family, 20, um, royal wedding in 2011. Yeah. Then there's nothing, I think, until um, Harry's wedding in 2018. 
Then you've got the Sussexes leaving in 2020. Prince Philip dies in 21. It's very recent. And Prince and Prince Andrew in 2019. <coughs> so I, I, I don't. I personally, I personally don't think they'll go there. I think they'll end it nice and cleaner at 50 years. I also like moments in the crown where it decides to be really bold in how it presented a period of history or events yes. that happened like when it did the episode of great episode about the fog yes. and it showed you like these smog. decisions smog thank you these decisions that were made caused this much death yeah. or when it really dealt when it for much of season two um the the guy the king who abdicated i can't remember his name edward um the edward the eighth. eighth when they let his whole character arc play out and then it was revealed that he was you know had a deal with hitler and yeah, they showed pictures yeah, of yeah. him like outside yeah. a concentration camp shaking hands with yeah. nazis like you okay, okay this is outside your... i think it was a military parade but not that i need to defend christ yeah. Pre- Pre- Edward the, yeah, whatever. No, correct me no, that's yeah. fine yeah. it was pretty hard to, and it's like this is the stance that we're, we're depicting of like what happened in yeah. history and it's very clear with that when you're um do, do you remember the benedict cumberbatch brexit the uncivil yes. war thing came well, out i like that I, I thought it was good too but i was almost like this is all still happening. Yes. And you know, we've got the Kenneth Branagh, Boris Johnson drama coming yeah. out on Sky. Yeah. And it's all about like Matt Hancock and the PPE. It's too, and I'm like, it's too, I've just lived it. I just lived it. I was like, I actually blocked this out because yeah. it was just so like, we we actually were recording this podcast like in the midst of like the second lockdown yeah. and it, we, were, we were okay to meet people, but it was like yeah. really hard times where you couldn't leave and everything was shut. And I was just like, don't want to engage with it. And yeah, I think what you mean, it, like the dust yeah. hasn't settled on these things. Do you know what's funny is that I remember in 2016 after Brexit, and after Trump got elected, and everyone's like, what do we do? And I said, guys, the only way we can get through this is by thinking it's all crazy now, but in 10 years' time, this will make a fantastic HBO show. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah. Really good TV. And then just on, you know, whether or not that changes their approach, I really think that when peter morgan goes and starts the production for the crown he looks at how long this is going to take and the fact he wants to do six seasons he must be aware of the queen's age and must have calculated the fact that there is a very likely chance that before i finish this show which will be this grand uh retelling of the monarch's life by the time we get to the end there's a very strong chance that queen will either have died or be very close to her death so i don't think i think the way this show is going to end is not going to be that much different to how it It originally done i think it'll stay stay. i think if anything it adds an entirely new gravitas to imelda staunton's performance and the way in which that that. worked. i'm really looking forward to it and yeah i just i'm looking forward to crown i love a bit of crown this last one is from Colin, who says, Hi, I don't remember where I found you guys, but it was probably TikTok. It was probably TikTok. I just, listened to, yeah. I just listened to the D23 episode where you discussed towards the end about if Marvel was ruining the art of cinema and how to go look up other works by people in them. I was curious, what are your favourite artier slash lesser known films by now blockbuster directors, i.e. Taika Waititi does Thor's, but I think Jojo Rabbit is a great piece, if not blockbuster well, cinema. Colin. Colin, you have uh, come to the right place because yes. a few weeks ago, maybe even a few months ago now, we did a two-part run-through of the directors of the MCU and the work they've done before and the work they've done after. And in so doing, we talked about the many interesting, lesser-known projects that have spun off from those directors. To quickly answer your question now, I probably would have said Taika Waititi and I probably would have said Boy, which I always talk about. Yeah. It's a wonderful film. Um, but... We did that just, in like just, two parts, like an yeah. Avengers film. Go, 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 <laughs> yeah. go, go back to the episode. Uh, many directors of the MCU. Yeah, the many directors it. of the MCU is the name of the episode. Um, and you'll see in it, we've got, it's called, cool, it was in the early 30s of the numbers, I think, of the episode. Something like that, yeah. And we basically answer your question for 40 minutes, yeah. not twice. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> plenty of content there. But yeah, do listen to that and let us know yeah. Let us know what you think. Well, there you go. That was the emails for this week. Thank you so much for people that wrote in. We do have more, but we're going to save them for the weeks ahead. Please do keep sending them in. Yes, and people have started to send in their, 
um, opinions of House of the Dragon and Rings of Power, as I've said for a few weeks now, we're going to be doing a wrap-up of those at the end of the series. So keep sending those in and we can have your opinions read out for that. But brilliant. There you go. All right, so George, we like to end Pulp Kitchen with a game. Okay. We are playing one of our fan favorites, which is Movie Opposites. The quick right. fire, I throw them at you. It is the opposite version of the film title. You have to tell me what it is. I'm nervous. Right, I know. It, it, I get sweaty just like, I'm, I'm, I'm such a power dynamic of being yeah. able to do it to someone. <laughs> but um, please playing along at home. I like to think that people sometimes are like on the bus just shouting like, ah, it's like the thing. Like <laughs> Unforgiven. <laughs> Um, so yeah, okay. Are you ready? Okay, George, you have to guess the movie based on its opposite film title. Ready? Yep. Quick fire. Three, two, one. Lady of Peace. Man of War. Ma Ma Lord of War. Yes. Melted. Uh, frozen. Outside Woman. Inside Man. Soft Vegetables. Hard. Rice, <laughs> sweet meat, sweet sour. What, what's the sweet candy? Hard candy. Hard candy. Ah, oh, yeah. Run the circle. Run, run the circle. Walk the line. Yes. Noise. Uh, uh, sound. Sound. Vision. Sight. Sound. Help me. Opposite of noise. Uh, Silence. Uh, the pavement. The sidewalk. The no. The road. Yes. The road. The small long. Small long, the big short, <laughs> silver ear, golden eye, <laughs> the lady from Aunt, the man from Uncle, Liverpool by the lake, Manchester by the sea, <laughs> Queen Kang, um, King Kong. <laughs> so stupid. They're so dumb. They're so dumb. But I, I write them and I'm like, oh. very good. My James. favorite well is done. Liverpool by the lake. Yeah, Liverpool by the lake. <laughs> Oh, Liverpool's not the opposite of Manchester. They're not opposite. Oh, suck a dick. I, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna tell this one to you now that I was going to do, but it's so obscure. Yeah. I was gonna give you one that's Scouse, a uh, uh, Mank. Yeah. <laughs> right. Like you don't remember Mank? Yeah. That film on Netflix. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, uh, well, okay. there you go. Uh, that was just a little dumb game for you. Thank you so much for listening dumb to this fun. episode of Pop Kitchen. Don't forget, we post new episodes of the yes, show every single Wednesday. And we've got loads of other stuff coming out. Yeah, we have reviews as well uh, coming out on the channel. Please check those out. Got Andor review. Yes. We've got um, Ticket to Paradise, which yeah. I saw, so you can hear what I think of that. What else have we got? That's it. That's it. Because <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't see the film I wanted to see. No, um, Ticket to Paradise. Yeah. Which I thought, when was the last time you saw a rom-com in cinema? Whoa. Ages ago. Anyway, go. you can go hear my thoughts on that. But there you go. Yeah, and uh, yeah, you know what I'm going to say, guys? The usual... Get us on TikTok, get us on Instagram and YouTube. We're on YouTube. You can watch, subscribe, like, engage, comment, but subscriptions are great. And if you're listening on Spotify, of course, give us that little five star. Follow us on Instagram. We posted some content about how we went to the Amsterdam premiere, which, which you can check out. You can do a whole yeah. thing on that. And we'll be talking about that next week. Next week. So stay tuned for our review of the new David Russell film. Yeah. Um, Exciting times. Yeah. See you next week, guys. Thanks so much. Yeah.